Crossway Church Sermon Audio. And so let me ask, do you know the greatest risk factor in being a parent? It's teaching your children how to drive. And I'm on the fourth one, and every time it's literally a death-defying experience. I have to gear myself up for it, like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this. We're going to get through this. I'm going to trust the Lord now. Do you want to see a miracle? It's all around you. All the parents who are still alive after giving driving lessons that are sitting in this room right now. But those road signs, they really do help. You know, the first thing the sign, a road sign communicates is that there is an authority over the road system. There's something over the road system that provides these signs, wants you to know the rules of the road. Well, then after that, it communicates something more specific. So when you see a highway sign, for instance, that sign tells you that the exit is coming up on the highway, and that sign lets you know about how far you are from that exit. And then you, you take that information, you plan accordingly. And so do we need to use the restroom, or do we need to eat before we get to our exit? The sign is not the exit, but it points to the exit, and it gives you the hope of getting to the exit. That's what a sign does. It's not the actual thing, but it points to the actual thing. That's how signs work with God. And I thought this theme uh, came out of our text for today. God has given us the greatest sign so that we look and we trust him. He's given us the greatest sign so that we can look at that sign and it can remind us and help us to trust him. This very day, whenever our trust in the Lord wanes, we can look at the sign God has given us and more. He's given us a sign. He's given us a lot more. And our faith can be stirred up again. So we're going to take these two chapters in three parts. The first part is a call to trust. A call to trust. A call to trust. Let's go right to the text. Isaiah chapter 7. And we'll start with verses 1 and 2. I'll read it for you and we'll keep going through it, okay? Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now you remember from Isaiah chapter 6 that when Isaiah saw his vision of the Lord, in the, he saw it in the year that King Uzziah died. So here in the very next chapter we're talking about Uzziah's grandson uh, uh, Ahaz. We're talking about probably about 20 years later that Ahaz is ruling after Jotham. Then you had Ahaz. And Ahaz does not do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Second Kings 16 and Chronicles, Second Chronicles 28 tell us that he's not a good king of Israel. He did not follow the Lord. He doesn't do what's right in the eyes of the Lord like his father and his grandfather had done. And we're going to get to that more in just a moment. But here in verses 1 to 2, we see that two nations just north of Judah are joining forces against Judah and against Jerusalem. And this would be like uh, the two counties north of Lancaster County joining together to attack and conquer Lancaster County. It's, it's, it's not that much bigger than these counties. It's bigger, but not that much bigger. And one of the kingdoms is the northern kingdom of Israel called Ephraim because that was a dominant tribe of the northern kingdom of Israel, was Ephraim, 
So they called it Ephraim here in the chapter. And the nation of Syria is also just above Ephraim, and that's not to be confused with the nation of Assyria, which we'll get to as well. So here's what you have to note from this history. The king of Judah, Ahaz, and all the people of Judah, the people of Israel, God's people, based there in Jerusalem, they're so afraid of these two nations that the scripture says they're shaking like leaves. That's how fearful they are. Are you afraid of anything today? Do you have fears in your life right now? Did you come here with fear going on in your world? Are you, are you just so afraid something's going to fall apart? Big or little. Maybe it was in your mind this morning. Maybe it was in your mind as we went to prayer or as we sang. These people can relate to you. And they had an imminent fear. They're shaking like leaves. Part of the reason they're shaking is because Ephraim has already had some military success against Judah. Has really hurt them in some of the outlying regions. But let's go on and see what happens. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 6. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz. You and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has divided evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. And do you know what's really going on here? What's really going on in the background here, is that Assyria, not Syria, Assyria is a great empire. It is the world power. It's the superpower of the world, armed to the teeth. They are north and east of all three of these nations, Judah and Ephraim and Syria. They're north and east of all three of them. And they are a monster on the international scene. They are a ravishing, conquering people. And they will eventually come for Palestine. And the kings of Syria and Ephraim and Judah, they know this. And so they think, the kings of Syria and Ephraim think the best way to counter this beast of Assyria is to cobble together a coalition so that we can meet them in battle. And Syria and Ephraim, when they get their coalition together, they want, international politics, they want Judah to join with them in their coalition against Assyria. They can't have the back door being for Assyria while they're trying to fight the greatest power in the world. But Judah and Ahaz, its king, they have other plans and they refuse to join them. That's why... Syria and Ephraim want to attack Judah. And they want to set up their own puppet king there so that Judah will join with them in the coalition against Assyria. Now, you can already see the Lord in these verses seeking to comfort his king, even though that king Ahaz is unfaithful. The Lord's seeking to comfort him. He's, he's sending the prophet. He's sending the word. He's trying to comfort the king. He's trying to comfort the people. So think of this. Ahaz and all Judah, they're shaking. They've already suffered defeat at Ephraim's hands. And now Ephraim is joined by another nation. But what does God say? Through his prophet. 
God gives a beautiful picture, a picture that should be beautiful to Ahaz and the people of Judah. He says, Ephraim and Syria may look like a devouring beast to you, to Jerusalem. They may look like the end of life to you. They may look like an execution to you. But God says, no, I'm going to give you the real picture. He says, he says think of your fire pit in your backyard. And think of the logs you put in that fire pit. And after the fire's over, there's two logs still, still sitting there. They're charred and their ends are toward the center of the fire. And just the ends of them are still, there's no fire on those ends. They're just smoking. They're just smoldering. He says, that's, that's Ephraim. That's Syria. Smoke, but no fire. Now that's some serious divine belittling by God. And God's saying, that's what that really looks like. You see, that's how it is for God's enemies today. They may look like beasts. They may look like certain execution. They may look like certain oppression for God's people. They may look like the end of all things, but they are not. When God looks at them, he just laughs. The nations, ra- the nations rage, right? And the king in heaven does what? He laughs. That's true for us today. No matter what's happening in this world, God looks and says, you don't, don't be worried about that. I can handle that. And here's the real picture. It's very small. And so the Lord tells Ahaz, he says, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of them. Do you know why Ahaz should not fear? Because of what God's about to say. So look at Isaiah chapter 7. Look at verses 7 to 9. And look what God is going to say. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of, a fear, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, when you study this out, there's God's actually using some derogatory language in the passage toward these leaders and these nations. We won't get into all that. But basically, God's saying to Ahaz, it shall not come to pass. These guys are coming against you. These armies are coming against you. It's not even going to happen. And that should be reassuring, right? God's saying, don't worry. I'm telling you, they look dangerous, but they're not. They're nothing. They're not going to harm you. They won't get close. Great, right? Done, right? Let's not worry. Let's not waste time. Let's go back to what really matters, right? That's what Judah should have done. That's what Ahaz should have done. But if only it was so easy. If only it was so easy for Ahaz. If only it was so easy for us. Why is it? Why is it that we cultivate our own fears? Why, why, do we, why do we wade in them and muck around in our fears? What, what is it about them? Is there some delight that our, our sinful heart takes from holding on to fear and saying, and saying, Oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. If I, you know, I have to do these things. I have to worry about this. I have to keep this close to me rather than saying, you know what? I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be quiet. 
What is it about our souls that delights in our fears? If only it was so easy. So you can see in the words of Ahaz that Ahaz, he needs adjustment. He's exhorted to demonstrate faith in God because he's lacking faith in God. These words that are said to him, uh, think of these words that characterize the working out of faith in God from verse 4. God says through Isaiah, he says, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because. Isn't that interesting? God says, be careful. He says to Ahaz, be careful. You ever think of that when you're, when you're fearful? See, when you're fearful, a lot of times we're careful of the wrong things and not careful of the right things, right? But God's saying, you need to be careful of me. Not of that thing that you fear, but of me. God says, be careful. Be careful that you think and act and speak in accordance with who I am and my power and that I'm over all things. In other words, don't let fear drive your words because they'll end up being foolish words. And don't act in fear because it will backfire. And then God says, be quiet. You know, you're fearful? What, what happens when we're fearful? One of the first things that happens when we're anxious, for many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, the first thing is, is our mouths start to run. Our mouths start to run. We've got to put words together, put words together, put words together. Sometimes we excuse us and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just a verbal processor. But you know what, you know what God's Word says, right? It says, be, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to be angry. And so maybe we shouldn't let our mouths run as much because where there's many words, there's sin. Don't let yourself be filled with anxious energy. Don't run around with your hair on fire. Be still. Be quiet. Be careful. Don't let fear drive you because it will drive you to weariness. How important this is for us today. Think of these words. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you are not firm in the, in the conviction of the greatest truths that God, who He is and who, what He's done... If you're not firm in those convictions, and for us it's clear who He is and what He's done, it's Jesus. If you're not clear in those convictions, if you're not firm in those convictions, then you're going to be in constant danger and constant woe in this life, and you will melt in the face of troubles. Let me ask, brothers and sisters, wouldn't you rather be the one that others can look to at a time of distress? Wouldn't you be the, like to be the one that is anchored in faith in Christ Jesus, knowing that He's in command and He's got our lives in His hands? Wouldn't you want to be the one that's, that's firm in that conviction and that others can look to in times of crisis and find help in your steady faith? Rather than the one that drains others, or rather than the one who makes things more difficult, or rather than the one who constantly needs care, rather than the one who's running with words, if you would rather be the one who contributes to the comfort of others and the stability of the body in crisis, then be firm in the faith. Are you careful? Are you quiet before the Lord? Are you firm in faith in Him? You see, the Lord was calling Ahaz to trust back then and today he's calling you and me to trust him God has given us the greatest sign so that we look and so that we trust him 
We're to look and trust him as well. Let me give you the second part of our text today, a sign for comfort. There's been a call to trust, and now there's a sign for comfort. Now, into this moment, this deadly moment, God comes and calls Ahaz and Judah to trust him. He calls them to trust him. But in his great mercy, God calls them to trust, and in his great mercy, he says, I'll tell you what, I want to give you reassurance. I want to reassure you that I will do what I say. So the means God is going to use to remove the threat of the two kings and this invasion, this uh, siege of Jerusalem, the means the Lord is going to use to remove those, that's going to take a couple of years. It's not going to be next week or tomorrow. It's going to take a couple of years. And, and as we all know how impatient we are, I mean, a couple of years, that's, that seems like forever, Right? I can't stand anything for a couple of years, but it's not that long, but it's still going to take a couple of years. So right now, God says, I'm going to offer you a sign. I'm offering a sign to, to his king. He's offering a sign to his king. And he offers this sign immediately so that Ahaz and all Judah could look at the sign and remember that God said he's going to take care of this. And he's going to do so within a couple of years. You could look at the sign and you're going to see that God's going to do this. And and I know we referenced 65 years earlier. You're going to see in the text that there's another reference really to the immediate handling of these problems within two years. And so he offers the sign immediately to Ahaz so that they could look at it and receive courage and comfort each and every time that they need it. And every time they look at that sign, they're going to be reassured that God will bring the plans of the two kings of the north to nothing. And here's what happens. So Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Are you ready? Isaiah 10, uh, Isaiah 7, 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now imagine this. Imagine this for a moment. Kind of like your name has his shoes. God offers you a sign. What's troubling you today? What's on your mind? What's in your heart? Is there anything you fear? Where are you tempted? Do you have it in mind yet? What is it that you fear? Do you have it in mind? Okay. Let's say the Lord comes to you and says, okay, I'm going to take care of that thing. It will be completely dealt with within two years. And for right now, ask me for any sign as a down payment, as a reassurance that I will do as I have said. Go ahead. You know, what are some of the potential signs? Do you want Peter to use your name in the sermon today? You know, he throws it out there, then you'll know, ah, there's the sign. God's going to take care of this. You know, or do you want the sun to turn back a few hours? God's done that kind of thing before. Or do you want the Eagles to win the Super Bowl? No, that one's, that's too much of a miracle. I don't think you can't, that's lower than Sheol. You can't ask for that sign. You name it, God says, and I'll do it. You know, if the Lord, if the Lord did that, what would you say? Now, we need to be careful because we're not 
facing the prophet of God who, who God is speaking through and saying to us, ask me for a sign no matter what. That's not us. We have our sign, okay? And so we've got to be careful in that whole sign arena. But my point is, imagine yourself in Ahaz's shoes. Well, here's what not to do. Here's what not to do. Ahaz declines. And he does so in the most pious way. He refers to Deuteronomy 6, where God's people are commanded to not put the Lord, their God, to the test. And so he wrongly connects this ver- that verse to this moment. He says, oh no, I'm too humble and I'm too righteous for that. But the truth is he's neither humble nor righteous. Ahaz is a liar. And do you know why he didn't want that sign? He doesn't want that sign because he doesn't trust God. He doesn't want that sign because he doesn't believe. And he doesn't want his unbelief to be messed with. And he doesn't want his unbelief to be embarrassed. He doesn't believe, so he doesn't want the sign. Now that's quite a thing. God's offering to act, and to act in such a way to reassure you that he's going to save you, and he declines it. And we know from 2 Kings 16 that Ahaz will reach out to the king of Assyria, that monstrous superpower in the world, and, and, and that king, Tiglath-Pileser III, to save him. He's going to reach out to him to save him from Syria and from Ephraim. He's going to pay him a lot of money to do so. He's going to send a bunch of money, and, and then he's going to ask the king of Assyria, hey, take this money, come attack my enemies, and, and keep me at peace. And you see, Ahaz, is, he's not concerned about God's glory here. He's, like, he's not saying, oh no, wouldn't that be putting God to the test? I could never do such a thing. He doesn't care about God's glory. He doesn't care about God's honor. He doesn't fear God. But in that moment, boy, does he pretend to, doesn't he? He pretends to. Do you see how piety can be a cover for unbelief or worse? And here is the Lord holding out reassurance to the king, and the king rejects him. And does so in words that feign honor. How treacherous. And yet, we can find this kind of treachery in our own hearts, can't we? But we're not really honest with ourselves about why we've done what we do. We can find that very treachery there in our hearts. Are we being honest with ourselves, with our own hearts? Are we being honest about why we do things we do, why we don't do the things that we do, why we do fear the things that we fear? Are we being honest about why we end up in conflicts? That kind of treachery lurks in the heart of sinful man. And God wants to root it out of us. And you know, he does it as we trust him and as we have faith in him, as we walk before him. As we do that, we get to see the contrast of what's going on inside of us, what it looks like to trust God and what it doesn't. And in that, God uses it to demonstrate to us what needs to go, what's not trusting him. What's not fearing him? And we get to put that side of things to death. And because Ahaz doesn't ask for the sign, and because he's behaving so treacherously, so falsely, and yet so piously, so falsely piously, God himself will give the sign. And you heard the prophet say, is it not enough for you to weary men? 
You know, you're weary. I'm trying to bring you the, Isaiah is saying, I'm trying to bring you the word of God. This is weary. Are you trying to weary God as well with your nonsense? God, God sees right through that. And so God himself gives the sign. And that sign is a baby boy to be named Emmanuel. And the hard thing about our text, this baby that's to be born uh, and named Emmanuel, the hard thing about our text is that there's some ambiguity. The, The word there that's used, the Hebrew word that's used and translated here in the ESV as virgin, there's some ambiguity as to how that should be translated. So people ask, should it be translated as young woman or as handmaiden? or as it is here, virgin? And the answer to the question is that this is an intentional ambiguity. The answer to the question is, should it be translated young woman or virgin? The answer to that is yes, because it is purposefully ambiguous. See, in our original context here, the emphasis on the sign is not that a virgin conceived without a husband. That's not what the emphasis, when you study that text, when you read it there, it's not really the emphasis that, oh wow, look, a miraculous birth, a virgin, a, a woman without a husband has given birth to a child, has conceived and given birth. That's not the emphasis here in the original text. The emphasis here is on the idea that before the child is two years old, Your enemies are going to be completely powerless and this situation will be utterly resolved. That's what the emphasis is on. This is that there will be a child by the time that child is two years old. That's the the emphasis in the original context. The child's name is to be Emmanuel or God with us. You see the sign there. This is a specific child that's going to be born and remind Ahaz and God's people that God is with us. And within two years you'll know it. But it's also true that, that any child that was born at that time, an Israelite could look at any child born at that time, around that same time, and they could take reassurance because of God's sign that he's with them. And they could look at that child and say, oh, the child's a year old. Oh, well, in a, within a year, about a year, God's going to resolve the situation. Because it'll be before the child knows between good or evil. So around the age of two. And that was the emphasis there. But this prophecy from Isaiah has a deeper, fuller, and ultimate meaning. And so Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, the first Emmanuel was just a sign that God would be with Judah at this time and that within two years he would take care of their, uh, of their deadly struggle. But the real Emmanuel is actually, truly, in reality, God with us. 
God in fellowship with us. God down here with us. That's Emmanuel. God in human flesh. God born of an actual virgin. God miraculously born as a baby in human flesh. Our Lord Jesus, God with us, is the reason we trust now. He is both the greatest sign and the fulfillment of of that sign. And there is nothing, brothers and sisters, absolutely nothing, not a thing that you and I should fear on this earth. God has given us the greatest sign so that we look and so that we trust Him. Let me give you, oh, there it is, the third part of our message this morning, a warning to remind, a warning to remind. Now keep in mind, Ahaz did not believe in God's power or, or God's willingness to save or something. He may have had reasons like, I've been, I tried that, I tried, I went to Yahweh and it didn't work. And it's because he's approaching God in this, you know, what can I get out of it mentality rather than, you're God and I bow before you and you're my all in all. Kind of like what Isaiah was an example for us in chapter 6 when he sees the Lord high and lifted and exalted and his hem filling the temple. But we have to wonder what would have happened if Ahaz did have faith, if he did say, as we should say, I trust you, Lord, speak and I will listen. But because he did not believe There's going to be terrible consequences for the people of Judah. God's going to deliver them from Ephraim and Syria, but he's going then to turn them over to Assyria. So God delivers them from Syria and from Ephraim, but turns Judah over to Assyria to a large degree. Not completely. That will come even later. But you can see this in the rest of Isaiah 7. Now, I know I've got um, up on the screen there... Uh, chapter 8, 1 to 22. But I, I'm, I'm wanting to read through both chapters this morning as I think there's great benefit whenever we can do that. We can't always do that, but we can today. So go with me to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 17 to 25. Isaiah 7, verses 17 to 25. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house Such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rocks, and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria. The head and the hair of the feet and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns with bow and arrows. A man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. This is some terrible consequence that Ahaz is going to face. And the Lord is not done yet. But it's worth noting here that even these warnings are grace. 
You know, warnings are a sign too. You've seen warning signs. Think of a warning sign. Think of a coffee maker, maybe a fancy one that that has a place where you're supposed to put the water, but another place where you're not supposed to put the water, and there's a warning sign there. Don't put water here. Guess what? If you put water into that hole, it, it breaks the machine. Guess what? If you don't trust the Lord, the consequences are grave. Look at the warning signs. Look at the warning signs. Pay heed. Pay attention. Trust the Lord alone. Turn and trust the Lord alone. Are there warning signs? Are there warning signals going off in your life? Turn and trust the Lord. Sooner is better than later. You don't know if there will be a later. Because God doesn't play around. We're going to notice something else here, another theme. Keep an eye out for the children involved, okay? So let me read for you Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Keep an eye out for the kids involved. And I'll read this, and we're going to go back to where you're going to see the kids involved here. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get what? You know how people want all these cool names today? There it is. There it is. The next boy born, born to uh, Crossway Church, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jebericher. Uh, Jeber- <laughs> I know how to say this. Jeberichiah. Jeberichiah, yeah, to attest for me. And I want the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son, I went to the prophetess. She conceived a bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over its channels and go all over its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. We know that that Emmanuel means God with us. And there at the beginning of chapter 7, you probably remember from right at the beginning of chapter 7, God told Isaiah, when he goes to meet the king, when he goes to meet uh, King Ahaz, God tells Isaiah, bring your son, bring your son, share Jashub to meet the king. His name means a remnant will return. Now, can you imagine? Uh, Isaiah shows up. Hey, Ahaz. Ahaz says, oh, hi, Isaiah. Hey, is that your boy? Yes, this is a remnant will return. And that, you know, that has to catch his attention because it says that something terrible is going to happen. Something like, you know, uh, you're going to be overrun, but don't worry because after that, a remnant of the people will be left and they'll, they'll return. Not very reassuring, but that's part of the sign that God's giving to Ahaz. And finally here we have Maher Shalhal Hashbaz. 
His name means something like the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Or maybe something like easy pickings. And his name is applied to what the Lord is going to do with Ephraim and Syria, with the Assyrians. In other words, Ephraim and Syria will be easy pickings for, for us, Syria. But think about this. Why do we have so many children in these chapters? Why, why, what's with these three kids and the, that God's calling each of them to be a sign in some way? Oh, and Emmanuel, which, which may also be one of, the, uh, one of these children. And so you've got these names of children. You have this, this, this theme of the children. Why? Here's why. Because God uses the weak to confound the strong. It's another divine put down by God. It's another moment where God says to the nations of the world, you think you're so big. You think you're so strong. You think you have all the power. You're nothing. I'll demonstrate by using children to to show my power, to give a sign that everything's going to be fine for my people and that they should fear me only and not you. Of all these kings and nations and armies and death and destruction and spoil, spoil, then you have these children with funny names. And that's all God needs to accomplish His work because He's God. And that contrast is to demonstrate to us how trustworthy God is. We should also note this. Isaiah is to be different from those Israelites who are not trusting God. Let me read for you the rest of chapter 8, our last reading for today. Isaiah 8, verses 11 through 22. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimonies, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to, the, to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust in the thick darkness. Think of that word conspiracy you saw early in this portion of the text. Conspiracy. And that's such a big topic today, right? Some conspiracy theories are outlandish. Some conspiracy theories seem more plausible. The the more we have social media, the more access we have to information, the more news networks there are, it seems like, ah, that that seems possible, and that seems possible. Maybe that's right. There's just so much conspiracy. Now, in our text, 
Ahaz is one the one working the conspiracy. He's conspiring against his neighbor kings by joining with Assyria. He's doing the, the back room. He's, he's in the back rooms doing the back room deals. He's, he's putting his bet on the big dog. He's being shrewd in that back room. He's pulling the money together. He's taking it out of the temple if he needs it. He's getting wherever he needs it. He's getting the payment out. He's hedging his bets. He's covering all the bases. And God is saying to Isaiah, you don't have to worry about all that. You don't have to worry about it. I've got it covered. I'll take care of it. He's saying to Isaiah, just fear me. I know every bit of backroom dealings. I know all the shrewdness of humanity. I know all about the powers that be, the ones with the wealth and the power and the pull. I know all the names and I know all that they've done. I know all that they're planning. And I'm telling you, you don't have to worry about it. God's saying to Isaiah, I, you don't have to worry about it. You, God's saying to Isaiah with a strong word, you be sure to follow me. You be sure to trust me. If you're going to fear someone, you fear me. And don't worry about all that. And that's simple. We can do that, right? And it's good. And it's what we need to do. Don't worry about all that. Fear the Lord. He's going to show us what steps to take. He'll call us to action from time to time. But he's the one that we're to fear in this world. What if Isaiah didn't take this warning from the Lord? What if he said, no, I want my teaching to be acceptable now. I want it to be popular now. I will change my message ever so much so that it's acceptable to the Israelites I'm preaching to. I've got abilities. I've got gifts. I can have standing. I can have crowds of people who will, who will give to my campaign. I want the credit for what I'm doing. Had Isaiah not taken the strong word of the Lord, not heeded his word, but gone with the temptation to change his message so that he was acceptable, we would never have heard the word Isaiah, never known his name, never had his book. God would have used someone else. And so it is for you and I to be faithful to the Lord because in our faithfulness to Him and what He's called each and every one of us to be for His glory, that's where we fulfill purpose in life and we bring Him the glory He deserves. And it's what we do in His name that He calls us to do that is worthwhile and useful and nothing else is. I'd like to ask Doug to come. God has given us the greatest sign so that we look and trust Him. He's given us the greatest sign so that we look and we trust Him. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to partake together, coming to the Lord's table and get your elements ready. Get your wafer ready. Do you know what the Lord's table is and baptism, those sacraments that the Lord commanded to us? Baptism and the Lord's Supper, we often say, are signs and seals. It's a seal of God's grace upon us. But think about it. It's a sign. It's a sign. And one of the glorious things about this sign of the Lord's table is it's very meager, right? 
It's, it's very streamlined. There's not much to get distracted in. There's not a lot of religious ritual to really focus on and, and fill our whole minds with. It's very simple. It's bread and it's drink. Bread and drink. Body, blood of Christ. His body broken. His blood shed. In our place. In this sign, we are pointed once again, not only to the Lord Himself, but what He has done for us. So that our sins are forgiven. Yes. But so that we're also held firm in that sign, knowing that the one who has defeated sin and death will return someday. And there is nothing on earth to fear. And all for us to do is to trust Him. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.